Thank you for joining us on another episode of Popcorn for Breakfast. With me, as always, coming to us live from what appears to be the ancestral plane. Right. Your co-host, Kirk. I have entered the ancestral plane, ladies and gentlemen. I don't know how I got here. That's not good. Should I check on your physical vessel to make sure it is intact or? Yeah, hopefully no one has stolen it. (laughs) I mean, I know it is quite the, uh, the, the, an artful piece of beauty. So, uh, watch out. Is this a, your body's buried in sand situation or you are deceased situation? I am dead. Okay. That's what I figured. That's what I figured. It's, it felt like it was about that time, but. Yeah, I didn't want to say anything, but uh, I am your other you know. co-host, Cam. We're so happy to have you, ancestral plane or not. We are here, and the reason that Kirk is sporting that great backdrop—if you're watching on YouTube—first of all, thank you. Um, welcome also to our podcast listeners. We love you guys. Um, the reason for all of that is that we are reviewing the biggest film currently going. I almost—I almost slipped up and said the biggest film of the year. That is not official. Yet, though, I, th- I think it probably will be before all said and done. And that film is Black Panther Wakanda Forever, which, on that note, has already surpassed in one weekend and change. Actually, in its first weekend, it's a, it surpassed the total earnings of Black Adam to date um, with Good. just one weekend. So, Good. <laughs> based on the quality of Black Adam, as reviewed on this podcast, um, that feels appropriate. And I think it's... Uh, it just goes to show that in the comic book world, there is still a king for the moment, and that, that's, that's Marvel in the comic book film world. So um, that, may, that may yet change, but for now, it's Marvel, and it's certainly Black Panther. The first film, uh, Black Panther, did uh, over a billion dollars in the box office and was nominated for the Academy Award for Best Picture, Kirk, big time. The yeah, first MCU film to do it, the first uh, superhero film since what, The Dark Knight to to do that. If did The Dark Knight get nominated? Uh oh, I don't, I don't think for a. I best think that picture. was no, because that was whenever they still did five. Yeah, that was when they still did five. So people wanted it. There were campaigns that's, going on. That's big time. MySpace, I think at that time. Yeah, it's pretty wild. Uh, do you think? So obviously, the biggest movies of the year right now would be Top Gun Maverick, you know, raking in the box office numbers, and possibly this, Wakanda Forever. Do you think that's the top two by the end of the year? Yeah, I do. Yeah. Um, the Batman is in there somewhere, too, though I know it was still affected ah. by COVID stuff, but I think it did a billy, if I remember. It did. Um, top Gun Maverick's going to be tough to beat. I think if, if everything cracked right. This is a November movie. November movies traditionally... Um, struggle more than summer blockbusters and it is already like the biggest November premiere ever in history. So it's, it's off to a good start, but I do think those will probably be the top of the mountain when all is said and done. That's pretty great. That'd be really cool. If they're like $1 apart. Yeah. And and we demand a recount to find out who the real (laughs) winner is. Figure out who's using those, uh, those movie passes that you have to go see the movie two <laughs> weeks after it's been released. Does that count? I need, I need all the rules, all the technical yes. rules on the box office stuff. James Cameron could probably tell you those rules. He's all about it. Oh yeah. He could cheat the system for anyone. <laughs> he, he definitely can. He's done it before. <laughs> um, but we're going to talk about this movie. We're going to talk about black Panther Wakanda forever. It is a massively anticipated sequel. 
It is the end of Phase 4 in the MCU. Um, lots of big things going on with this movie. I think, of course, it's you, you can't acknowledge the fact that it's so anticipated as a sequel without talking about the reasons why. One is, obviously, the first film is a cultural milestone, a huge moment um, in our society for representation, um, for black people on the screen to have a superhero of that caliber formally inducted into the MCU to get that kind of, um, uh, I don't know, like coronation actually is, yeah. is the appropriate term to use as, as the King. And it really did strike a chord. It was nominated for best picture. Um, it's a huge deal. So there's that, but then there's also obviously and, and horribly the tragic death of Chadwick Boseman, um, who died after a, a um, you know, a quiet battle, uh, you know, a, a lonely somewhat battle with, with cancer that he didn't publicize. And um, it's, uh, it, it, it's so hard, you know, there's, there are so many poignant moments in this film where you're left to dwell on that and it's very powerful. So in a lot of ways, this movie is anticipated because people want to heal because a lot of people feel very connected to Chadwick as an, as an actor, um, but also to his character of T'Challa. But it's also, um, you know, it's, it's, it's really, it's, it's tough on people who are fans, people who feel a real connection. Because even though you're just a fan, we talked about it before, even though you're just a fan, we don't know these people personally, none of us do. Um, it, they, they do become a part of your life. If you really care about these movies or, or movies in general, and they mean something to you, they, they help you get through a tough time, whatever, these people, these actors really do mean things to us. Um, and Chadwick Boseman, more, more so than most, meant a lot to a lot of people, particularly um, the black community for whom he represented so many iconic um, historical figures and fantasy characters. So um, there's a lot. There's a whole lot going on here, Kirk, and we'll certainly unpack that. Um, are you ready to get into it? I am ready. I've been ready for approximately one hour when I wrote my notes down. <laughs> Isn't it? This one, this is one of those ones too, Kirk, where like, whenever you first heard about this at Comic-Con, it was like, wow, I can't believe we're finally going to get another Black Panther. It felt like, even though the first one I think came out in like 2018 or something like that, it felt like, even though it's only been four years, it feels like such a long time since the first one. And, and it was kind of surreal walking into that theater Thursday night and being like, oh my gosh, we're actually here. Sometimes you have those moments with these really anticipated movies where you're like, it's been so long and yet it hasn't. Like, I can't believe that we're here. Um, yeah. I don't know if you were feeling that same way. I was, I was honestly, when I wa walked in, we went to the same theater that we always go to on this yes. side of the river. And uh, I got this, this eerie deja vu moment of yes. when, what was the movie we saw? What was it? Cam, it was the horrible, um, <laughs> new mutants, new mutants, <laughs> new mutants. That's what we were we seeing. We went to go see the new mutants. And as we, as I parked my car, you had also recently parked and I got a notification uh, of Chadwick's death. And I said, what, this has to be uh, a prank, whatever, you know, like, like for reference, like today, what's today? Today is date of recording, uh, November, November 16th, 2022. This week, Jimmy uh, Fallon has been trending on Twitter as dead. And he's been, Oh yeah, um, I saw that. He's been making jokes, quote unquote, from the grave. Like I was like, okay, this must be another thing. And I saw like 18 different reports before I was starting to share it with Cameron. And I was like, Cam, the, he's gone. Like, this is crazy. Like as we're running into the yes. theater to see this awful, um, 
Marvel-esque movie. So I got I got weird, weird deja vu as I walked in. It was it was this eerie feeling. Um, you weren't there yet. I got my food. I sat down and I was just like, all right, it's been a while. A lot, a lot has yeah. happened. So definitely feeling that. Definitely feeling the passage of time. And thank goodness they that Ryan Coogler wrote a script that that envelops that too uh, about what what was and what is and what's to come. Like we get a full uh, a full spectrum of that, and that's absolutely really fun that we'll get to talk about here in more detail in, sh- in just a minute. Yeah, definitely. Well said. Um, so we are going to get into this. A couple of things before we do. First. After the review, we are going to get into a full phase four recap and post-mortem, including, um, you know, ranking the films, ranking the TV shows. How do we feel it stacks up with the others? We've had similar conversations after each of the Marvel releases recently, but now that phase four is done, we're going to try to really wrap it up and put a bow on it. Um, and, and, and look, look forward to phase five and talk about what we want to see and um, what, what lies ahead. So make sure you stick around for that. But here's what we're going to do. I'm going to put in the description of this episode a timestamp for that um, so that if you are listening to this right now, you can go down and see where that conversation begins because um, this review will have spoilers in it. So if you haven't seen Black Panther Wakanda Forever, we are going to talk about everything that happens, all the spoilers, the post credit scene, the whole deal, okay? So don't get spoiled. We are officially warning you. If you get spoiled from this point on, it's on you, not on us. Your fault. I'm, I'm absolving fault. us of blame. So we're going to do that, and then we're going to pick up our conversation about Phase 4, where we will really try to stay away from spoilers. I think we can do it um, in the in the Phase 4 recap. So If we happen to not um we will put the sound of a squeaky toy over <laughs> oh, our spoilers so all right let me make a note of that <laughs> i hope we have we that have used bleeps already. before <laughs> whenever we whenever we reneged on a promise so we, we will we will cover it okay we got i you. would like a we squeaky toy you. here hold on we'll it, you know what you need it for later mark the time <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what that was. Got it. That's just, that that's going to be the sound. It's like a creaky door. Uh, okay. That'll be when creaky Kirk door, spoils yes. the movie. That'll be what we do. All right, Kirk. <laughs> let's get into this thing. I'm going to intentionally spoil it so hard. Now. <laughs> <laughs> we are going to talk about this movie. We're going to start with Black Panther: Wakanda Forever, as we always do with every review, which is our synopsis. I am on synopsis this week, as far as I know. So I am going to take the floor to talk about Black Panther Wakanda forever. So as far as we know with this film, it takes place as far to date as we know of in the MCU right now. So it is completely caught up. And what we are seeing, as you probably have seen in the trailers is a Wakanda that is, you know, certainly taking a, taking a blow, you know, people they've lost their leader People are coming for their resources. They've got all these new things to deal with. They, they don't know who's in charge. You've got the queen regent, um, Queen Ramonda, who is uh, T'Challa's mother, obviously, and, of course, Shuri's mother, who is owning the throne until such a time that, you know, Shuri or the next heir apparent can take over, and they are trying to figure out their way through life um, as a nation and as a people after the aftermath of T'Challa's death. Um, there is a really moving scene at the beginning of this that I, I don't know 
we, we never really knew how they were going to do this in the films, but the way they chose to do it was um, to have a scene at the beginning where Shuri is sort of running around um, trying to use her technology to um, help T'Challa with the illness that he's battling as he is dying, and she is failing to do so, and she's sort of coming to grips with that, but she's, she's trying so hard to pull it together, and then Queen Ramonda comes in um, and is kind of like, you know, he's gone, and that's followed by a completely silent Marvel Studios intro role um, that features only images of T'Challa. It's completely silent. Um, it was extremely moving, and that's sort of where we start, followed by going straight into a funeral for T'Challa. So that is how the movie begins, um, just to give you a sense of kind of what the lay of the land is in Wakanda. Um, shortly after that, we find out that there is a battle that continues to rage on for vibranium. And there are some new factions that are in on this. They have found, um, you know, uh, like a multi-government task force. I guess it's mostly the, you know, it's like the French, it's like the UN in a way has found vibranium buried in the ocean. And when they do their um, covert ops team that is working to retrieve it gets attacked. They assume it's the Wakandans. It's actually um, the, I always mess up the name, the pronunciation, but the Talo uh, Kanian people from Namor's world who have come to take care of it. So they're the ones who are actually raiding the boat and they launch themselves into a conflict with Wakanda. Basically, Namor comes to Wakanda, makes an offer to Shuri and Ramonda saying that um, you can work with me or you can be against me. And if you're against me, it's war, but we need to, we need to take out the rest of the world. Um, and so that's the p decision point that kind of acts as the main plot driver for this film. Is that pretty good? Kirk, what do you think? That's right. I just want to call out that silent Marvel intro role. Um, the theater didn't make a sound. No one took a bite of popcorn or dug into their, bag of uh, uh what do you call what are those things that i love cameron um nerds gummy oh, clusters oh my gosh they're, they're so good <laughs> it's very specific I love them. i absolutely love those nerds gummy clusters um sponsor us if you can but listen to me like nothing yeah, nothing dead could have made anyone disrupt that and that was a powerful moment i mean First, I think everyone was so floored at the approach from that, right? Because we we see Shuri find out basically as the as how the world found out. Like it was completely in secret that Chadwick Boseman was suffering from this this crippling type of cancer. Didn't tell anyone except his closest family, and then just quietly passed away. And then people we're discovering like, no, like, why can't we help? What, what could have we done? We were here. We could have been a shoulder to lean on. We could have done something. And sure. He is completely helpless. And though, so then they, they captured that so masterfully. Then we're sitting in the theater. We could do nothing. Then we can certainly do nothing now. Mm -hmm. And then we're left with how do we move forward? And then the UN scene opens and it's, it's pretty crazy. Like life has to go on for the rest of us. It's chilling. It's absolutely chilling. It is. It, it, it is. It is so many things. Um, but I think the 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 thing that comes most to mind with it is that it's thoughtful. It's incredible. Yeah. It's it's perfectly thoughtful. And as gut wrenching as it is to sort of 
sit in the aftermath of that and to sit and watch it happen. And, and to your point, like good, good point. Like you feel very helpless because you're like, ah, man, I wish this hadn't happened. And I wish that we weren't here having to, you know, stare down the barrel of this thing because it's, it's horrific, but as painful as it is, it's also so beautiful the way that they did it. Um, And one of the things that's great about Wakanda as well as many African cultures is the way that they handle death um, which is to, to celebrate the transition into the afterlife, to celebrate the time that you had with that person. Um, grief is a, an unbelievably complicated thing, but I do think that them going out of their way to show that the Wakandans don't view death as the end and that they view it as a celebration, and they can still grieve and be sad that they don't have him there for now. Um, it's so powerful and so layered, and it captures the complexity so well, and I just thought it was... To your point, I thought it was beautifully done. I thought it was I thought yes. it was really great, really sobering and, and awesome. Um, so mm-hmm. shout out to the team who did that because that is that is a near impossible task, if we can be yeah. quite honest. I mean, it's just it's unprecedented. It's never been done. The other thing is you got these actors, Kirk, who aren't having to act. This is somebody no. they actually know and love. Like this is their brother. Um oof, it's uh it's it's powerful stuff, man. It's powerful stuff. All right. Um, so with that, we've got the groundwork laid. Uh, basically what ensues in this movie is two forces who have a lot of common ground between Telokan and Wakanda as, as hidden nations, um, people who are separated from the world for whatever reason, and, and yet they have different ideologies between you know mainly Letitia Wright's character Shuri and, and obviously Angela Bassett's Ramonda, and uh, Tanakh Huerta's uh, Namor. So they have different ideologies, and those two things are coming to battle. Only one can win is sort of what's what's happening here. So it's, it's very compelling. But let's get into the acting performances because we have new characters. We have old characters returning. We have characters coming into a totally new phase of their life and dealing with different things. Um, so let's, let's get into it, Kirk. Let's start with our first superlative category, which is in the Oscar goes to which of course always goes to the best actor in the film. For me, I nominate you, Cam. I nominate you. <laughs> you I'd nominate like me? I wasn't in this today. film. What? I thought no. I saw you. No, mm-hmm. that was uh Oh was man, that Martin I was gonna, Freeman. I was going to come out with the, come up with a zinger. <laughs> I was going to be like, "No, that was DJ Khaled or so, I don't know, but it's there's <laughs> there's nobody I could think of. Um but no, my favorite actor in this movie um the person who gave the best performance for me, this is easy. Letitia Wright, who plays Shuri. Um, awesome work. <laughs> I just, if you, if you have been on the internet, I think there is this weird thing going on with Letitia Wright as Shuri. And maybe it's because of the anti-vax stuff or whatever. I don't really know, but there's, there's sort of this negative talk track that surrounds her that I hope will go away. Um, because, regardless of what's going on with her personally. And I have no idea about any of that stuff, the anti-vax or whatever is uh, so controversial about her. Um, She's, she can flat out act. And it feels like because of all that stuff, people forget that she was a total scene stealer in the first black Panther movie. Like I remember when that film came out and people were talking about it. um, she came up in every conversation. Everybody's like, oh, Shuri. Shuri was awesome. Even if they didn't know her name, people were like, oh, Shuri was so great because um, she really was a scene stealer and a total standout. And she's stepping into a bigger role here. Um, here's where the spoilers come out. She does end the movie as the new 
Black Panther, um, and you know, of course, retains her role as as Princess of Wakanda. But she goes through an awesome character arc that Ryan Coogler wrote for her, and the the tandem work that must have been going on between those two great creative minds must have been sick because Letitia at every stage of this film is exactly where she needs to be doing what she needs to be delivering things just right. Um, she's one of these people who was really close to Chad in, in real life and uh, looked at him as like an older brother in her career and in, in the world. So she is really feeling these things. And at every moment she is acting just Perfectly on the, on the right key, on the right note. The tone is right. Everything's exactly right throughout. And, and that was one of the things overall for this film that I thought they balanced so well was tone. We see movies that have a lot less going against them that struggle with, with hitting the right tonality. And yet this movie that has so many outside factors pulling down on it, they strike such a great tone. And I think a big part of that is Letitia Wright being able to balance it out and provide a calming force and to help the audience know how they are supposed to feel and what is okay to feel um, as she goes through the grieving process she's going through. Anger, she's going through denial, she's going through all the stages of grief. And we are watching that happen all the way until she reaches inner peace. And I just think it was lovely. And I thought Letitia Wright was the, the right person for the job. She totally nailed it. Well, what a coinky dink. I've also chosen Letitia Wright. Nice. As my Oscar goes to, I could see her getting an Oscar, uh, not an Oscar nomination per se, because I don't think that superhero movies are yet qualified for that. Martin Scorsese, James Cameron. <laughs> the gatekeepers. <laughs> <laughs> yes, allowed up up in there. But I could see some, you know, there's so many other awards that go out, like the Saturn Awards, like the like the like the smaller uh, smaller venues, Golden Globes. I think there's lots of opportunities that she might actually um, see herself on a nomination list, which would be well deserved. What I love about but the the difference between Black Panther and Wakanda Forever um, is that Black Panther. Numero uno uh, gives us these vibes of Shuri as the, of course, the the techie sidekick, the uh, the cool little sister, right? Uh, think like NCIS, like that weird girl, but like cool, right? <laughs> like her, her hair changes every week, but Shuri's like constant. Like you know what you're gonna get. You know she knows exactly who she is. And then in this, in Wakanda Forever, we get a fully formed three dimensional character out of her. Um, her display of grief was so well restricted at times where she was just trying to show like a regal side of herself, a Royal side of herself. And then dialed to 11 when she was allowing herself to be vulnerable, that vulnerable in front of the, of the right people or sometimes the wrong people. I mean, she is grieving her brother hard and then she gets kidnapped basically uh, with, with Riri Williams uh, going into, uh, in, into, quote unquote Atlantis with Namor. I mean, it's, it's insane how, how well she navigates who she is and what she's presenting and what role she's taking on, whether she's the sister, whether she's the princess or whether she is the black Panther. It's, it's pretty excellent. It's pretty excellent. Um, I think her self awareness as the character in that aspect is so 
heightened because she feels responsible for more people. Uh, she had her brother to protect her and to protect everyone that she could just say, he's got me, he's got this, I'm going to support him with whatever he needs. And there's, you know, that playful sibling uh, rivalry in Black Panther 1, like, come on, brother, you would be, you wouldn't know what to do, which way was up if, uh, if you, if it weren't for me. And now she is, uh, in a, in a way in free fall and we get to see how she becomes uh, a caretaker for those around her in her own specific way. I, I just think it's a great, great build for her. And, uh, there are, there are these flashes, uh, of, of lines that get used or, or reused and reformed from the first film, uh, that are used, uh, from, from that dialogue into this film that are, are really exciting. Uh, the only thing I didn't like, and I think this is a writing critique. I just have to get it out now is that she gets, she gets a lot of anger once she gets the power of the black Panther. Like she's like, I'm going to kill everyone and nothing can stand in my way. There's this full fledged anger. And I, I don't think that mini subplot pays off. And that's a little frustrating because her character was so well built up to that point. And the only way that would have worked is if she would have like totally lost control and then like broke or lost the black Panther suit and then gave, gave the black Panther mantle to someone else. Like that's the only, that's where I thought it was going. It didn't make sense quite, quite enough because it was so brief that we saw her in full fledged anger mode uh, because of this. She's like, I've got the power. I've, I'm, I'm my own human shield. I can do this, but she still handled it well. So I just want to call that out before uh, an hour later when we get into <laughs> director's shoes. Yeah, I like it. I think my favorite thing that you said there was you mentioned her feeling responsible for other people, that being a part of her character. The thing that's cool about that is that there are a lot of like life imitates art type of things. And in this case, art imitates life because I think on a, on like a meta level, she was feeling responsible for a character that is so important to so many people now um, in the Black Panther. That, that icon, that, you know, whoever puts on that suit that means something now it it's 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 come to be quite a symbol so i think she felt responsible to get this right um both in the actual film and with her performance so i think that's a good thing to call out so good work there thank you all right let's move into scene stealer oh my gosh so many choices kirk we had lots of returning characters like Okoye and and Ramonda and and uh, Mbaku and so so many and then and then you add in all these new characters and it's like holy smokes where do we go and I really struggled with this Kirk I have to say I don't know I don't know about you but for me this is the category I have twiddled my thumbs on the longest over the last few days um, thankfully I've been sick as a dog so I've had extra days <laughs> to think through it there's actually um, there is a very whimsical looking elephant that is shooting water vapor out of its trunk right next to me to make sure that I'm not like super congested. Cause I hate listening to congested people. Um, and I'm sure other people do as well. So, um, I am still sick, but we're going to power through and we're going to make it through this, but I have that extra time to think about it. And the person I have decided on for my scene stealer. And I hope that I, don't regret this. I don't think I will. It's impossible to regret because they're all so good. There's no wrong choices. I'm going There's with one wrong choice. There's one wrong choice. Oh, is there? Oh, okay. I just mean yeah. of the good performances. Um, oh, okay. Gotcha. <laughs> Deny Guerrera as Okoye. 
that's that's who I'm going with. I man, she, what a performer! I think she's just awesome. I have loved her since The Walking Dead as Michonne, where she was the total definition of a scene stealer in that show. Came into it and just took over um, for beat one. And in this movie, I'm going to make a little bit of a fool of myself because I there is something that I cannot describe that she is doing here. I just don't know what it is. It's 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 cheesy to call it like an it factor, but you know how like sometimes when when you're cooking and you have a recipe and you're like missing one thing and you're like, oh man, that seems like really insignificant, so I'm just going to make it without it and it tastes like crap. Like she is that one thing. You don't know what it is or why it's like why it's so important to the recipe, but she is it. She just brought the right dynamic um it's almost like an accent wall in a room. Like she kept the energy balanced. So when things were, she, she just was always able to match like the counter energy to keep things flowing forward. Because I think it's easy with all of the like themes on grief and everything. She's dealing with that too. And she's going through a very intense character arc where she's, you know, gotten her rank removed um, from being a part of the Dora Milaje. And it's very serious. And she's, she's very hurt by that. But at the same time, she's able to provide balance by being the warrior that she is and just being fully embodied in this very layered character who is like funny at times and intense and cares so much about what she does. I just thought Denai Guerrera, her facial expressions, which has always been a strong suit of hers, were on point. She made me laugh at multiple times during this movie. She made me tear up whenever she was fighting for her role as Dora Milaje. She had the it factor and she's my scene stealer. Yeah, what's great about Denai is that she, her incredible success and likeness and popularity on The Walking Dead is what essentially gave her uh, the, the 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 keys to get into Black Panther uh, from her notoriety and, and exceptional, exceptional storytelling. I mean, in the first season that she was introduced, I think she was a mute character she spoke no words yeah, right until the final two episodes of that particular season and then it was like what <laughs> she speaks and she speaks well ladies and gentlemen um i think it was uh it was like okay she's great on tv um but you know kind of old school hollywood like can she carry a role on film and she absolutely can uh, great great choice for deny absolutely wonderful all right kirk let us have it what do you, what do you got my scene stealer goes to someone who probably should be knighted at some point. Uh, I'm going to call her Dame because of that. Future Dame Angela Bassett. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah. come on. Come on, ladies and gentlemen. She is just absolutely incredible. I feel like Angela Bassett, and maybe I've said this before, had a strikingly uh, fireball of a career when she first came out and then kind of stepped aside briefly and just took on not not necessarily leading roles and then now she's back full force <laughs> like you you turn around she's everywhere you look in the best way um we see her break into this the first uh the first scene after the funeral and it, where she's at the the UN conference and she's defending Wakanda and she's trying to um, show how strong that the nation is, which still very much strong. They saw the attack coming from a uh, hundred miles away. Um, what I first at, at first I didn't like her in that scene. She looks like a boss. Like the way they dressed her, you can see her muscles in 
in that scene, like her shoulder muscles, like don't mess with me. I'll throw you down on this floor uh, with when I'll, I'll beat you to death with a gavel that's somewhere laying around here. Um, at first I didn't like it because I, she, in a way she, she exuded st- strength, but she didn't exude, um, confidence and i think that's on purpose at first i was like why doesn't she seem like more comfortable well because she wasn't comfortable uh her people her son had just passed away and her people were being attacked right so then the more i thought about it i'm like yeah that's exactly how that scene should play so okay a plus for you and then there is a scene later on when of course this is actually against okoye where she is defending the 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 throne the throne itself and defending wakanda even to people who uh, have been trusted so long right so okoye loses uh letitia wright's character shuri and in uh to to namor and she is just going off and there's this debate like well what about her loyalty and and, and okoye is just like sobbing sobbing her heart out and and um pleading to to continue to keep her her title and her rank and Angela Bassett is not having it. And her debate, her reasoning, even though it's painful, and even though you don't want a Koye to be uh, kicked back to citizen status, it is incredible. It's an incredible speech. Like the crescendo on that and the, the way she dips and uses the language to attack and then sits back at the very end of it. Oh my goodness. Like she's so good. She's so so incredible uh she wins she wins for me yeah dude when she hit him with the i don't know the exact line but when she hit him with the i am the queen of the most powerful nation in the world and i have lost my entire family like i was like oh my gosh um (laughs) definition of scene stealer man queen stays queen she was absolutely slaying I, i loved it um also angela bassett for a long period of time, that, that sort of like dry spell that you're talking about with her, she was killing it as a narrator. She has narrated some stuff that is, is oh. fuego. She has a perfect voice for it, as you could probably imagine. Um, but man, it's hard to envision a role that for her that is more perfect than this. I mean, she's just fantastic in it. She She has the exact right approach and demeanor for it, so... Kudos to you. Good choice. I love it. All right, Kirk, let's talk about the production. Let's talk about Ryan Coogler's movie. Um, man, Ryan Coogler, <laughs> what a career. I mean, he, he, you know, of course, famously directed Michael B. Jordan in Fruitvale Station, which was sort of like an indie um, phenomenon. Huge film. Uh, amazing film, if I'm being honest. Really good. And then jumped into the mainstream without skipping a, a beat at all. I mean, has been an executive producer on a lot of stuff, including Candyman, which I loved. I'm going to talk about that movie every single chance that I get the chance to. It's, it's becoming embarrassing at this point. But <laughs> And then he does Black Panther, which was critically acclaimed, nominated for Best Picture. Now he's got Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, a seemingly impossible task. But let's talk about this production and this film as a film and talk about what they did well. For me... Um, I, there, there are so many things. There are so many things that that are done well in this movie. Um, he's he's flexing a lot of different stuff, but I have to go back to something that was a strong suit of the first film and continues to be a strong suit in this film, and that's production design. That means um, having an aesthetic for a film that is, you know, like a visual 
playbook for a movie, basically, that says this is how this is going to look. And from the first movie, when, when you look at the, the totally captivating designs of Wakanda as a city, as well as the ancestral plane, um, and so many of the amazing textures and uh, color palettes and things, and, and, and certainly the lighting. I mean, he always does, he, he and his lighting crew do such a great job of uh, making things pop. Uh, you know, there are, there are so many iconic looks from that movie. And this movie introduced more of those. I mean, there is there are more dynamics in this movie in terms of different textures. You know, we go to the United States um, at times. We go all the way to the bottom of the ocean, to Talokan. Um, and the way that they did that, I think, was what really struck me because I was like, we talked about it a little bit when we were talking about The Little Mermaid um, uh, trailer and how it looks so, like, photoreal underwater, which is a little bit off-putting because it's kind of like things underwater are, like, just kind of green and murky. And I thought that in this movie, they so perfectly balanced making it look like they were really underwater. Like, it really looks like you were at the bottom of the ocean. And looking green and murky and looking real, but also looking like there's a city here. There's a people here. I can, I feel that. I can see that. Um, as well as, like, the cave dwellings. And, of course, we got to see more of Wakanda than I think we did in the first film. Uh, it, it just was really well done. I thought all of the different landscapes were great. Again, using the lighting to make the production and the sets pop. The whole thing was just so pitch perfect from, from a um, visual standpoint. Even scenes that other movies would have made very stale, like that, that battle on the water where they're on that like ship and they're battling each other. There was such a, a nice color palette. There was a good just a good vision for how this thing should look. To me, it, it would have been my showstopper in the first Black Panther movie, and it has to be my showstopper in this Black Panther movie because I just, again, am like amazed at his ability to take us to Wakanda and, and to make it really feel like it and to introduce even more into that and still make it feel so consistent. I mean, this feels like so similar to the first film in, in all the right ways without feeling like, it's monotonous. Um, so it's, it's well balanced. It's well done. I loved it. Um, and I think this, this picture that we have up on the YouTube, um, video is a good indicator of that too, where you've got the balance between the Wakandans and the, I don't know what they're called, like Telokanians or whatever. Uh, the Mur people, <laughs> the people who live under the water. Um, yes. Right. They, these... Yes. Uh, when you juxtapose the Wakandians, uh, to the Mur people, to the Mur, to uh, the Mur people, that was really beautiful work. Um, so yeah, I think it's a, it's, it's good. I, I really like the production design took, took the show for me. Wonderful. Mine is very similar. Mine is very similar. Um, I love how you said there's a city here uh, because yeah, this is the water, but if you have a group of people, a population, they're going to take care of it in a different way. So Maybe they're sweeping the sand dust off the ocean floor. I don't know. Whatever they're doing down there, uh, it's it's very much home like. They have they decided to make it their home uh, because they had to uh, with their with their changes, their kind of zombie like metamorphosis in a way. Uh, shout out to uh, Ryan Coogler for um, making Avatar, making blue people like Avatar, but like better. Like uh, is that a I don't know if it's a hot take for the av- Avatarians uh-oh. out there that. These blue people 
when they are deoxygenated and, and living uh, or walking around on the earth, uh, they are, um, they look better. They look better. No cat butts, no cat butts. Um, I got to go with the CGI specifically to this because we are, we have a couple of similar pitfalls. Like there's a, there's a scene near the end of Black Panther one, the, obviously the big fight scene, uh, they rushed, they rushed with Killmonger and Black Panther. That's known as a known conversation where it's like, man, that would have been a little cooler if they spent a little more time on this. Um, we see a couple of scenes like that. Ironically, it's, it's when I believe that uh, Shuri is jumping as the Black Panther it down like a little slight waterfall and it doesn't look good. And I'm like, wait, what is, wait a second. We've already been to Talakon. We've, we've been underwater and I felt like I was underwater. What's happening here? So I think it must've been production rushing and hopefully they'll just fix it and then uh, update the digital feed on Disney plus. Where no, I'll watch it again. no, Kirk, just that, that, just that. No, that, that's all I want. A little George Don't Lucas George retouching. Lucas it. No George Lucasing allowed. I'm against it. <laughs> um, but other than that, there are moments when you're looking at this movie and you're you're looking at a, a scene and you you think to yourself, none of this, none of this is real. But I feel like I'm there, uh, as opposed to uh, Aquaman one, <laughs> where you're like. Oh my gosh, what did they what are they doing here? Um or, or you know, there's a, n- a number of other films that are like that, but the 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 structure, the 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 shadowing, the colorization, everything came together with the CGI and the creation, uh the further creation and, and the further specificity to these worlds that was just absolutely beautiful. I loved it. Absolutely loved it. Nice. I like it. All right, let's talk about director shoes. We'll talk about those those things we want to pick at Kirk, the waterfall scene, etc. I, I share I share your concern there because there are some moments in here that are like, oh come on, you know, like there there's just a few. Like I, I remember there's one where um, Namor is moving around that just looks like very overproduced. Like I shouldn't say overproduced, probably underproduced, but you know what I mean. It just yeah. looks very like stodgy and gross, um, and, and I'm just like. Like you said, there are so many things that you've done well here. There are so many things that you have designed from CGI that look so stellar, and yet it's these little things, people moving around, jumping in the air, like whatever, these these micro, you know, it's like five frames, and it's like, oh, it looks yes. bad. Um, so I share that, but it is not my director's shoes. My director's shoes is uh, similar to the first first movie, actually, Kirk. As you said, the third, the third act of the first movie features a, a battle scene that is a little yucky looking. This movie doesn't feature that so much, but I felt like the third act was the weakest act of the film. And that's never how you want to do it. You, you know, you don't want to, you don't want to limp across the finish line. You want to finish strong. And I felt like the final third of this movie, um, had a real chance to drive some really powerful stuff home that didn't as well. Kirk mentioned it earlier when he was talking about Letitia Wright's acting performance. Um, her arc is so well paced for the first two thirds of the movie. And then it gets a little wonky there with where, where she, you know, her and Namor have this conversation um, when they're kind of trying to, when he's trying to level with her about their, their shared history and, and kind of their, their background where he says, you know, like, let's burn it all down. You know, like these people will never be able to coexist with them. Let's, let's tear it down. And, And she's kind of in the camp of like, no, that whole time. And yet when she is able to um, 
eat the purple heart flower and, uh, you know, go into the ancestral plane. She encounters big, big surprise and, and spoiler. Obviously she encounters Eric Killmonger there rather than T'Challa or Amanda, um, who also died. Another spoiler for you. Um, uh, you know, and, and she goes down this path of like, he's telling her, you know, you'll never be like T'Challa because you're not like him. He's more noble. Um, and she takes that advice and is like, yeah, let's, let's burn it down. Um, that whole bit doesn't, doesn't quite land. Like you said, Kirk, it just feels a little bit disingenuous and it doesn't feel totally authentic. Whereas someone who is grieving should feel rage at a certain point. So there is a way to do it to make it feel real, but the way that they did it just didn't hit. And then it's too, it's, it's just fleeting. It's so short that, um, when she has her moment of, you know, when, when Ramonda's like in her head and they use the same line that they use in the first movie, like show them who you are whenever T'Challa is fighting in Baku in, uh, the pits to kind of like decide who's going to be the, the ruler. Um, whenever you have that payoff, it just falls a little bit flat because it feels like, okay, well, she hasn't been in rage monster mode for long enough. She hasn't learned her lesson, you know? Sure, she gets, like, stabbed through the stomach or whatever, and I guess that snaps her out of it, but it's just the whole thing is just paced in, in such a weird way that it doesn't feel right. Um, and so that that's a shame. That, that feels like a miss. And uh, it kind of... It kind of a movie that is so emotionally powerful through the first two thirds sort of falls flat. And then they also just kind of, they're a little bit overindulgent, I think in the last third of the movie to like kind of draw it out more so than they needed. I feel like it's really well paced for the most part, but again, you don't want to have the ending feel like it's kind of like meandering and you do get a little bit of that. You do get a little bit of meandering going on. So um, that, that would be my director's shoes for, for Ryan Coogler on this movie. It's, uh, like two and a half, what is it? Two and a half, two hours and 40 minutes, something like that. It's a pretty long movie. And I feel like I'm excited. I was excited about the long runtime and they used it so well in the first part of the movie and they slowed down right when they needed to slow down to have these in-depth conversations, emotional, um, character building, plot driving conversations. But then in the final part, they were a little bit irresponsible with it, I felt like. Um, so I would have liked to see that tightened up. Yep, two hours and 41 minutes. 2.41, yeah. Kirk, two what, are, what are your director's shoes? My director's shoes go uh, mostly revolve around Namor, Namor, Kukukan. Uh, uh, dude, that's like the best, that might be it's the best awesome, line in the awesome movie. It's an awesome title. When M'Baku <laughs> says, his people do not call him general or king. They call him Kukukan, the feather serpent god. I love that. I yeah. <laughs> absolutely love his delivery on that. Winston Duke, you are a treasure. Um, mine goes into Namor. Um, he is great. He really is. I, you know, we get a lot of so-so villains in the first phase of uh, the MCU. And they are, I really feel like their first um, kind of retcon attempt at this, like listening to the the fans was when Kurt Russell and guardians Two where they're like, we gotta, we gotta really shape this up. Like let's go for it. That was their, the, a good effort, you know, and then things have, have gotten better from, since that effort. Um, Namor is great. I, I love it. But his introduction and his prologue 
uh, sorry, epilogue to uh, so his prologue and his epilogue, his intro and his outro to the movie are not great. It's kind of weird because when he shows up on that beach where uh, where Angela Bassett is trying to get uh, Shuri to burn the, the 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 white robes right as as their as their final act and physical representation of mourning is over which again we finally see uh we set finally see sure do at the finale of this of this film right but they're on the shore and he pops up out of nowhere well because in all of the promotional um pieces we've never seen namor's face uh, it's not like he it's not like he was a an incredible a-list actor before this and now he will be but we don't know what he looks like. So he comes out of that water and I'm thinking it's like one of his goons. So like I get the fact that he is the king and he operates on a different level than other kings would and he uh, moves in the shadows and he's going to sneak up on you and just like take you out. He doesn't care. There doesn't need to be any fanfare for him, right? I get that. But it's so dark and it's so quick, his introduction, yet he is very menacing in this first introduction it just doesn't play right for me uh, well enough. There's some editing tricks I think that should have been done. I think we should have had a, a longer, um, a longer appro- approach as he comes out of the water. Let's maybe see those wings earlier on his feet. Uh, that just didn't play play well for for me very well. And then on his outro, so he gets the the crap beaten out of him by Black Panther by Shuri, and he succumbs. He's like well, I'm not going to, I'm going to die or I need to retreat. And it looks like she's given me an out and we can be uh, cautious allies right here. And then when he's back in his dwellings in, in uh, the, in his cave underwater, he kind of says his plan in an off the cuff sort of way versus a menacing way. Like, like he's making coffee or something like, <laughs> or, or some, or a snack. And he turns around and he's like, well, this is what's going to happen. This, 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 and this. And I'll be ready when it ha- when it does happen. Versus like uh, I don't know some like menacing music and and like a sharp turn <laughs> like the, it just wasn't direct enough when it it didn't sound like the stakes were high enough in his in his introduction and his uh, epilogue of this. So there's a, there's a little lack of that kind of here and there. There's momentum shifts uh, like you talked about. They they for the most part they shifted well. Um, but there wasn't a lot of finesse to them. So for, for my viewing, uh, the momentum uh, kind of ebbed and flowed, not in a drastic way to like l- like lower this my score to this movie, but in a way that's like eh, a little, little, little more, give it a little gas, guys, uh, or give it a bit more uh, uniqueness, this particular slower scene. Uh, so there's there were opportunities that were missed in the pacing, but I really think it comes down to the editing. I don't think it's the directing and I don't think it's the acting. Uh, I think it comes down to the editing floor. So sorry to the editor of Wakanda forever. That's all right. That's what we're here for. Kirk. We're here to dish out the tough pills to swallow. That's what, that's what we're here doing. Uh, yeah. Good stuff. Let's wrap this thing up. Let's talk about final thoughts and, uh, and score this movie for me trying to look at my notes to see things that I didn't talk about. One is Riri Williams. I think it's easy to not talk about Riri Williams, uh, who's played by Dominique Thorne in this movie, because it feels like a bit of a unnecessary thing. Like I understand from a business perspective that you want to introduce her in this film 
so that you can jumpstart the Ironheart series. I do. But the plot point that they sort of came up with with her, that she like created the machine that helped detect the the vibranium under the ocean or whatever, like feels like, sure, it's fine, but it, it's also not totally necessary. And she feels like a bit of an afterthought throughout. Though I thought Dominique Thorne was great in her performances, Riri Williams. So I'm really excited to see more of that. Um, also, her suit, looks like trash. Uh, it looks like so bad. I, I don't know. Like I have not read Ironheart comics. It's a little bit newer and I'm, I've, I've read mostly older comics. Uh, so I haven't, haven't read any of it, but I know the imagery from that character and I don't recognize this suit. And I felt like sure mate, it's probably in the comics and it probably looks exactly like that. I feel like it looked bad in this movie. It looked very plastic and weird. Um, so didn't love that. Uh, I thought Winston Duke is in Baku. We didn't talk about him much, but he was he was great. <laughs> I thought he was so great, added so much to this film. I thought the uh, the Julia Louis Dreyfus stuff was weird. Um, it, again, it's like so, some this is the the dark side of the MCU is like they have to drive uh, forward the the rest of the the plot that they're trying to drive forward so that they can make these shows and movies make sense with each other, but it's becoming increasingly more clunky, I think, in this phase, how they how they do that. And this was a prime example of that. I felt like her presence in this movie was wonky and weird. Um, never felt completely right. Never felt totally necessary and just was a little bit strange. But those notes aside, I think what I'm left with with this movie is this is a, a standout film in the MCU. Ryan Coogler's flexing his prowess once again. The actors make this thing such such a high-level product in their performances. Uh, we named many of them in our superlatives and, and many others just now. Um, the acting performances are great. I think the, the writing and the dialogue is, is really great. Uh, by MCU standards, I think it's pretty high. And uh, I think they did a ton right. I thought the movie looked, for the most part, uh, you know, like specifically from a a visual aesthetic and production design perspective. I thought it looked really good. I thought they handled um, the tone fantastically. I thought it was really well done. So this movie does a lot more right than it does wrong. Um, I'm nitpicking at a few things and adding a few callouts, but I do think this is a really solid movie. I think it's a strong Marvel film, um, which is good. We've had a few, <laughs> we've had a few MCU films that leave you a little bit like, it was good, but, it, you know, so we'll get into that. But this one was definitively good. I thought it was a great entry. Excellent sequel work. Since we're on the, the sequel train over the last few weeks, I thought it was well done. And I'm giving it an 8.9 out of 10 kernels. All and right, the popcorn Kirk. flies. That's right. The popcorn flies. All right, Kirk, you're up, man. I need a popcorn cannon. I think that'd be pretty fun. That would be awesome. That I could just fire at people. Um, I'd like to go to the movies with it, and uh, if the movie is good, shoot someone. Just get uh, the with crowd the, fired up. Cannon, <laughs> like bah! just like before and the then, movie starts, like you're shooting the cannon off in the front. That'd be a good and the time. Staff, the staff comes in with a broom and, uh, and like, one, oh you know, the dustpan. They say, "How dare you, sir? Clean this up before we start this movie." Also, you're never allowed back. Yeah, here. that's how you get banned. That's a, that's yeah. a quick quick way to do that. I still want a popcorn cannon. <laughs> Maybe we could do it like at a private event and then I still clean it up like without them knowing. They like, would never know. Cool. Yeah. That'd be pretty cool. I'll clean up every drop. Anyways, 
my final thoughts. Black Panther 1 is the better film, uh, but dare I say this is the second best sequel after an origin film in the MCU. The first, of course, which will never be dethroned is, well, maybe it will one day, uh, but as uh, Captain America Winter Soldier, no one has a, a better second act than that one. Wakanda Forever comes close, and I think it does beat out Far From Home, Spider-Man. It's it's close, but it's good. This movie is good for so many reasons. This The, the journey we go on, um, we go on this journey of grief and mourning and so subtly, like as deeply as we were talking at the top of this episode about how powerful and meaningful and moving the funeral was and how we move past that. I think for the first 15 minutes of this movie, you're wondering, Oh my gosh, how do we get out of here? How do we, what's the next step? How do we get there? And life has its way uh, of, of throwing us curveballs. Namor comes in wasn't expecting him to come in at that moment and we have to react and we have to adapt and we have to survive and we have to live. And what do we, what, what do we pay honor towards for those who have come before us uh, who have meant so much and the people who are still here and, and we are still here. And uh, there's a lot, there's so much that goes into, into this film. That's, that's really beautiful. And, uh, and it's also a good time. There are some genuinely just some good feel moments that aren't necessarily like laugh out loud moments, but you're just like smiling. Like you, you're catching the vibe. You're, you're saying, this is exactly what I need right now. And it's good. This movie is good. Um, for the, the little blips here and there, not to, it doesn't knock it down terribly much. It's still a top tier MCU film. We'll rank these in just a minute of what phase four is. But today, Wakanda Forever gets an 8.1 out of 10 kernels from me. Nice. All right. Before we exit the spoiler-free zone or the spoiler-full zone and go into go into spoiler-free discussion on Marvel, I do want to say that like there has I, I've seen a lot of chatter, and again, I don't know if this is because people don't like Letitia Wright because of some off-the-screen stuff that is going on with her or whatever, but like people being like, "Oh man, I hope Shuri's not the new Black Panther long term," and I'm like, to reiterate, this is something that happens. In the comics, Shuri Shuri takes up many different mantles, but she does take the mantle of the Black Panther. And at a t- at at certain points, her and T'Challa are both Black Panthers. And this conflict between her and Namor it happens like this in the in the comics. I mean, T'Challa is still alive, but a lot of this stuff exists in some form or another in the comics. So, like, you know. There are lots of people that that cry woke and things like that, and I think that they're, you know, I understand some of that for sure. Um, I like to see both sides of every story, but in in this case, I really don't feel like that's the case, and I feel like, don't you feel better about her being the Black Panther than, like, some rando? I I mean, I do. I feel a lot better about it. It makes a lot of sense, and her character, it, it makes sense for her character arc and everything. I just felt like it was really well done. Yeah, I did want to see her and Lapita both in a Black Panther yes, suit that would have been side dope. by side. It would have been really cool. <laughs> yeah, it would have been cool. I, uh, man, Lapita and Yango. We, we didn't talk about her at all. She, she's so fantastic. Uh, so good. Nikia. I think that's I think that's in the future. I think that's in the future. Yes. They didn't want to play all their cards right here. Black Panther 3 or um, Secret Wars, whatever it may be. But I think Lapita gets in a Black Panther suit and fights side by side. It'd be pretty sick. 
Yeah, and what speaking of of Lapita and Nakia and Letitia Wright um, and Shuri, what did you think of the post credit scene where it is revealed that T'Challa and Nakia had a son, and his name is T'Challa, and uh, Letitia Wright gets to meet him for the first time? What, what did you think of that scene? That young actor, I kid you not, I just assumed was Chadwick Boseman's son. It looks so much like him. The, it the does. joy. And the joy in his heart, the, uh, mostly, uh, which you cannot, uh, you cannot replicate. You cannot ask a child actor to do. That boy is just so joyful, and I love it. Um, the incredibly big eyes uh, and just positive disposition. I love him. <laughs> I just love him. I think it was a wonderful, beautiful scene. You know, um, you know, it, we're six years removed, right? Well, so there was the blip. But obviously, Nakia didn't get blipped. She was um, with child and taking care of this child. Pretty fantastic. The whole storyline, the whole timeline, it's brilliant. I loved it. Yeah, and it's, you know, there will be other time jumps in the future to where we could see another T'Challa as Black Panther, and that would be another great way to honor the legacy of that character without recasting. And I think it's just really thoughtful. Again, well done. It was something that, Whenever that, whenever Nakia came down to the beach, I was like, "Oh, she's totally gonna say that," and yet I, it still came out of left field. Where I was like, not expecting that originally, and then whenever I realized what was happening, I was like, "Oh my gosh," um, it, it it was very interesting. So I I liked the scene. I'm, I'm excited about that. I thought it was a great uh, tribute. So yes, well done there. Okay, let's do our post mortem on Marvel Phase Four. So we are entering a spoiler free zone, at least on Wakanda Forever. Everything else is fair game. I want to do a couple of things here. Phase four is over. We know that in the uh, multiverse saga, we have two more phases, phase five and phase six. So first let's talk about this phase, what was good and what wasn't. And then let's move on and, and talk about, you know, where does this phase rank? We've had that conversation before. Is it the, is it the best phase? Is it the worst phase? Is it somewhere in the middle of the first four phases, whatever. Um, And then we'll talk about, kind of what we need to see, and we, we can kind of keep that brief. But let's start with this, Kirk. Now that we have scored all of these movies, let's rank the MCU Phase 4 movies. Um, and I, I have to say that now because we have movies and shows. So we're going to talk about the movies first. Let's rank them from worst to best. And I've got the graphic here. It's a little bit small because there are so, so, so many so properties many. now. Um Let's try to do this, and one thing I want to call out, if, if you go back and listen to our scores from the time the movie came out, it's possible these rankings could have changed based on, like, if you actually went by score, you'd be like, oh, actually, this should be ahead of that, and that's true, and Kirk and I are aware of that. Um, the thing about these reviews is we take our scores very seriously, but at the same time, they're... It's a hard thing to do, and we've always been very open about that, and we've always been open about the fact that over time, and, and I don't think there's anybody on Earth who could say otherwise, your viewpoints on movies change, whether you see them multiple more times or you've seen other things after that have changed your perspective on it, yada, yada, yada. So if you really go back and look at the scores, it's possible that these films will be out of order from how we scored them on the show, can't help you there. It's just it's just the nature <laughs> it's the nature of the beast. The, we we review them right after we see them, so there's of course a recency bias, which is very real. Um, in some of these cases, we were seeing movies that 
uh, had come out right after the pandemic where we were doing months and months of watching awful movies, um, yes. et cetera. So there's any number of factors that could go into something changing your opinion. We've all had it happen. So just laying that out there in case anybody, not that I think any of our listeners would do this, but if you did, you might find some inconsistencies. There's going to be one guy. He's going to, he's going to go back. <laughs> He's going to put our real scores together and he's going to say, um, excuse me, Cam, <laughs> I know that you ranked Eternals in the fourth place, but you need to move it down to number seven according to your <laughs> list. I think every, yeah, that's exactly what they sound like for sure. Yeah. Um, it's the well actually people who I've said, the, the, well actually, those are my least favorite people on earth is the well actuallys. Um, they are a terrible, miserable group of people. But I do really think We've been talking about this since the beginning, Kirk. We need to implement it. Every year at the end of the year, we go back and we rescore whatever, five movies yeah. for the history books. And it can be anything. It doesn't have to be from that year. It could have been anything we've scored on the podcast we want to revisit. Because there's plenty of scores out there that we're like, yeah, I don't feel that way anymore for whatever reason. You know, like sometimes when you watch a movie the first time, there are times you miss a lot of the like, Ooh, that looked really bad, you know, because you didn't watch it closely. You're, you're trying to take everything in or you miss the like, oh, the delivery on that line was wonky or whatever. You're kind of more focused on story and like meat and potatoes of right. it. Whereas like if you watch it two, three, four more times, your opinion can totally change. So anyway, I would love to do that. But if anybody is wondering why things are different on these rankings, if they are, that would be why. Okay. Let's start with the movies. There are six films that were released in Phase 4. The films are, uh, in order of release, Black Widow, Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings, Eternals, Spider-Man No Way Home, uh, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, Thor Love and Thunder, and Black Panther Wakanda Forever. Is that seven? That is seven. <laughs> there are seven films that came out in this phase of the MCU. I said six. There are seven, <laughs> but that's the order, okay? So, Kirk, starting at the bottom, number seven, what do you think? I, I don't want to say the worst, but but I guess it is technically by definition. What is the worst film of phase four? Black Widow. I agree. I also had Black Widow at number seven. I think that your, that's... Hit your sound effect. Hit it. What ding, sound ding. effect? The ding, ding, ding. Oh, because we match. We <laughs> matched. Is that? Is this a game? What's happening? I, I didn't know. Um, and if we don't match, you need to hit them. This one is for me one where I looked back at the score and went, whoa, what? Because we hadn't seen movies in a long time. Because <laughs> the pandemic. <laughs> it's, true. it's sad, but it's true. And we were just so excited to be back in the theater. We were so excited. Uh, but I did rewatch that film on Disney Plus and... I feel like there are some major CGI shenanigans that probably happened due to COVID. There are plenty of things that probably happened due to COVID. Um, also, what they did to Taskmaster was wonky. They have a chance to rectify that in Thunderbolts. Um, and yeah, there are just there are some weirdness. There's there's some definite editing weirdness in this movie for sure. You know what they should do. Since it's all streaming, they have a lot of digital feeds. They should retouch it, reshoot it, and then just upload it, right? Just correct it like George Lucas, like I talked about earlier uh, in the podcast. I think so that's the right path. <laughs> no, Cam. 
you no. were a big fan of it. In case you are only <laughs> listening to the spoiler-free oh portion here, Cameron is a big advocate of re-editing, re-updating, Listen, much like George Lucas did. You're tiptoeing very near a line of setting me off on a rant <laughs> about the world on the whole right now and about constantly messing with things, and it's it's getting dangerous, Kirk. I'm warning you. It's How getting close? dangerous. How close? Very I? close. I was about to tell you about... Yeah, I'll just do it. I, I hate how when you buy a video game nowadays, you're not buying the finished product. Like yeah. back in the day when you and I were buying video games as kids, it was, that was it. That was the thing. Like if it had a glitch, it had a glitch. And now it's like you buy a game and they're like, Oh yeah, there are key components of the story missing, but those will be patched later. We'll, we'll have a release later on November 16th and they'll, add a whole new section to the game. I'm like, no, no, no. And I don't want that to happen to films either. No, no, not anymore. So black widow, bottom of the MCU signed, sealed, delivered. Agreed. Okay. Number six, I'll, or number six, I'll give mine first since you had to give yours first last time. I'm going with eternals here. My number six is Dr. Strange in the multiverse. (laughs) For your game. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Throwing you a bone there. Uh, (laughs) uh, Yeah, Eternals, here's the thing. I did not hate this movie as much as a lot of people did. My thing is, as as it has sat, it is forgettable. I actually forgot that this movie existed. Now, I think the movie itself looked great. The character work, I thought, was awesome. I think it's overly ambitious. That was my key critique of the movie, and I stand by that. And... I would rather you be overambitious than underambitious in a film, so I give it a bit of a pass for that. But I think the forgettability of the movie is what's really sticking with me out of this bunch. I remember every moment of that movie. Love it. I love that for you. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me about uh, Doctor Strange. Why is it number six? Yeah, uh, it's it's uh, it's messy. It. Uh, they brought they they tried to make Rachel McAdams' character better, and they I think they made her worse. Mm. <laughs> uh, so that's a that's annoying that uh, because she's potentially going to be one of the night nurses, right? Like she really is. And what else? Um, I feel like the biggest miss on that is how uh, Scarlet Witch is like full evil when she really had a a quite cathartic moment by the end of. WandaVision, which is supposed to be a connected property. Now, I don't think this happens before WandaVision. I think uh, she comes out of Endgame. No, but she's she's possessed by the Darkhold, is what they say. She is. She is. Which... But I think you're right. I, and I agree with you. I think that it's 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 very rapid. The, the, the descent into full yeah. chaos and then the way that it ends is very abrupt with her like dying you know it's like it's 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 intense yeah but it it may when you mess with the character that much it drives me crazy especially when the character direction the progression was going so well it's a huge step back and i just i couldn't live i can't live with it i can't so sorry you're number six dr strange i feel that all right number five what you got my number five is thor love and thunder nice yeah i had dr strange here so, um, for the same reasons that you said, it pains me because there are some fun elements and that's ultimately like, I remember the fun stuff, but when I really think about the movie and how wonky the story is, I have to be like, eh, 
Yeah. They, they just mess a lot up there. So that sucks. Deception of character progress. Uh, what's the best part of that movie when he's holding Natalie Portman when she's not? Da- uh, spoiler alert. <laughs> <laughs> At the end of the movie is, is really the best part because you, you see an earnest Thor versus uh, like a, let's do whatever we want Thor uh, when that doesn't exist in this timeline. So yeah, number five. All right, number four. I'll go first here. My number four is Thor Love and Thunder. Um, I, the thing you said about Thor there, it, every the th- when I talked about tone with Black Panther, the Thor movie was the opposite. The tone was like on a total roller coaster ride, and the only person who, who balanced it out perfectly was Chris Hemsworth, who is perhaps uniquely suited to do that. Um, yeah. And they tried to make it so everybody is in on that and everybody's doing that same balance. And they, they fundamentally changed a lot of characters uh, for that. And even though, like, I think I gave Natalie Portman the scene stealer because I actually, I saw what she was trying to do and I think that she did it effectively. But I thought that it was the wrong thing that they had her do. Like, I think that she was trying to they were trying to make big changes with her character. And I think that she accomplished that. I just didn't like the changes that they accomplished. So mm-hmm. that was, that was where I was at on that, but it's, that one's a mess, but compared to Dr. Strange, I feel like the story was better and I will always take story. Um, if it's head to head, those two are close for me, but I think Thor had the better story. Okay. Are we on four? Yeah. Eternals. Eternals. There it is. E- wow. Eternals is a, is a big one for me. I don't know why. I think it's mostly Richard Madden. Uh, <laughs> but I really, I really just attached to this film. Um, again, not the top of my list, probably not even in the top 10 uh, total MCU films, but in phase four, number four for me. Uh, Kit Harrington is awesome in that movie too. I thought yeah. he was really, he is. really great. Um, yeah, man, I think that movie gets a lot of unnecessary hate. I really do. I think I think people were not in the right frame of mind when they saw that movie and didn't know what to expect, and so they they came in unprepared mentally and were like, yuck, I did not like that. So um, I think it's wrong. Okay, number three, Kirk, what you got? Wakanda Forever. Whoa. Elaborate. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, I will. No, you don't have to. <laughs> I can elaborate. Uh, this is uh, obviously in the top three. It's number three for me. Um, there were two other films that were just a little bit more tight. And, um, you you know, specifically just a touch more unique to their character, which I'll talk about in a minute. But, I mean, this soared past the other uh, the other four on this list. This was easy. I'm like, that's on my top three. Let's get the bottom four out of the way. This is a number three after after ranking it all together. Yeah, my number three is Shang-Chi. Um, I think that it's so fun. It's such a great origin story. Um, I, I love the character intros. I love the, the world that they built with uh, um, Kun Lun and, and all of the amazing things that they do in that movie. I just think it's awesome. And I love that it's a straight-up martial arts movie. It's so sick. So it's easy number three. Number two... Black Panther Wakanda Forever for me. And, and it, it, it just edges out. It just edges out Shang-Chi for me 
because I give bonus points for level of difficulty. And I think that the comparison of like, here you've got, and this perhaps isn't fair. I don't care. This is my ranking. I get to do whatever I want. But <laughs> you've got Shang-Chi where you it's a total, you can do whatever you want creatively. There's no nothing there, nothing holding it back versus Wakanda Forever where you've got all of this stuff. You've got previous iterations of the characters. You've got all of their existing plot lines. You've, you've got, of course, the horrible, tragic death of Chadwick Boseman. Um you know, playing off of in-game, playing off of all the different things. I just think, like, what Ryan Coogler did with what he had to do is an incredibly impressive feat. So it's an easy number two for me. My number two, Shang-Chi. Um, I, this one has grown on me. Um, I yeah, still have dude. not watched it for a second time. But when I when I put them side by side, when I put all the, the films, lined them up, I... I see Shang-Chi as having this, this incredible art to it with, you know, specifically the martial arts. There's, a you know, the martial arts dance that we get to see um, a couple of the characters uh, complete in that, in that open part of the forest. And there's just something, um, yeah, there's something, a different kind of magic, if you will, that takes place in that film that doesn't happen in the others in phase four or throughout the entire MCU. That's so unique that climbs to number two on the list. Um, I mean, that's a big win because I'll tell you, me and my wife, not big fans of Aquafina. Um, <laughs> I can't stand her uh, most of the time, uh, except when she was in the farewell. She, she was great in that, but to, to get number two on my list <laughs> is oh, a pretty man. big, compliment. I have like you and I, we know this, but I'm so opposite you on that. I'm like, <laughs> I want all the Aquafina content. Give it to me. Um, so that's hilarious. But Good reasons I, I align with all of that. Like I said, two and three are so tight. There's a few of these yeah. that are just like razor thin margins. Uh, and then there's the obvious, apparently obvious number one, because you and I both selected it number one. And that's Spider-Man No Way Home. It's the first movie that we have both given a 10. And here's the thing about that. This is where the personal aspect of scores comes into account. Obviously, it's not a perfect film. Obviously, there are parts where things like there, there are moments where it's like, uh, like I've gone back and watched it and found pieces of it where I'm like, oh, that looked a little bit wonky or that was delivered a little bit wonky, whatever. And I still stand by the 10 because of what they were able to accomplish and the emotional heft that movie has. If you are a Spider-Man fan, the way that movie hits is like, it just floors you. It just hits you like a ton of bricks. And, and the achievement that that represents to bring these movies back from all these different eras, it's never been done, totally unprecedented, and was a total spectacle to behold. Beautiful. Still love it. I mean, maybe I've got blinders on to that movie of of things that are uh, incorrect or errors throughout that film, but I really still stand by 10 out of 10. I, I really do. Yeah, it's, same. It's incredible. Uh, I, there are people who pick it apart. They're like, isn't it a perfect movie? Absolutely not. I'm like, you stop stop get out of here um, i only get mad at them because they also like rank it really low uh in this phase or uh or throughout the entire ranking of the mcu catalog and i just say to you um do you not have feelings do you not have a heart did you not have a childhood because it's easily a 10 out of 10 the, there, number one there are no massive issues with that movie at no all. there there are some some tiny like very tiny like the one thing that always comes to mind as like a slight imperfection is so small it's uh at the end whenever they're like meeting up it's like ned and and uh 
Ned and MJ and, and Peter, and they're all like grouping up. They run around a piece of a set that looks so much like a high school musical, like the way that they run around it. Oh, like that's true. Yeah, after the battle. Yes, right? yes. Yeah, they run they, around they the corner. Out. That's so and true. It's like it looks so it looks so <laughs> crappy. And there's like the weird thing with the lizard where it's like he's obviously not there in the movie. Like there are just a couple of wonky things, but it's like for what they were trying to accomplish. It, to have that little nitpicky things is like, it's such a massive achievement. So um, yeah, it's an easy number one. I'll say 10 out of 10 and I will rewatch that movie a thousand times. It is such a, such a fun ride. All right, let's talk about the shows. Uh, of course, the thing that separates this phase from all of the other phases that came before it are the fact that it's the first one with christened actual MCU television shows, not like Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and and the Marvel shows that came before it, including the Netflix Daredevil, yada, yada, yada. These are real, in the timeline, in the canon shows, of all different formats, uh, totally different genres that they're playing with, different formats in terms of like, some are nine 30-minute episodes, most are six hour-long episodes. Some are six 40-minute episodes. Like, there's a, a bunch of weirdness going on here. Uh, there's an animated show. Um, we are not going to talk about I Am Groot or Werewolf by Night. You and I both loved Werewolf by Night, but it doesn't really fit into any of these categories yet. And I Am Groot is a bunch of shorts that's sort of more geared towards kids. So let's talk about these shows and rank them. There are eight. Hopefully I got that number right. There are eight total Let's start at the bottom. Kirk, in number eight, I've got what if. Okay. What about you? I actually have She-Hulk. Oof. Number eight. Oof. I was wondering if that was coming. I know that you are not a fan of this show. Hot take. Uh, yeah, I'm just not a fan. <laughs> I tried. I tried so hard. And maybe that's my own fault for really wanting Allison Brie in the title role, even though Tatiana does an absolute great job. I just, um, it's hard for me. It's hard for me uh, knowing that she herself even came out and said during the behind, like behind the scenes talk, like, um, man, I wish we knew like when exactly we were going to be She-Hulk versus Jennifer. And I'm like, oh my gosh, that's a terrible that's a terrible thing to let out that's to not, the public. That's and not a good thing. Yeah. It's so true. It's so true. It's so painfully visible now. Uh, yeah. It's just, um, it's, it's a rough go, but Holy cow. The finale is wonderful, but the rest of it, not worth it. Unfortunately. Yeah. I have, I have what if here, it's just, it was a, it was a COVID product and it was hampered by a lot of things COVID related. There's like one missing episode there that like is clearly needed for the whole thing to come together. So it's just very odd. Um, some of them are fun. A lot of them are, you're like, why did I watch that? Um, so yeah, that's an easy bottom for me. Yeah. All right. Number seven, Kirk, what you got? My number seven is what if, uh, yeah, just not a lot of payoff shocked that they're doing a season two. I hope they work out the kinks in season two. Um, just not my favorite. I'm not an animated guy in the first place and it just didn't come together for me. I think you're very animated Kirk. I know that you don't enjoy animated things, but you are an animated personality for sure. (laughs) Oh, there's your, there's your, uh, obligatory dad joke for the episode. Um, my number seven is She-Hulk, so we swapped there. And I have a confession to make. I have not finished the show. I haven't. Um, I watched like three episodes 
Oh. Yeesh. I know everything that happens because I'm the worst and I'm on Twitter. And so I know that everything, <laughs> I know exactly what goes down. I don't know why I haven't just watched this thing. Probably because I'm watching, you know, The Bear and, you know, House of the Dragon and The Rings of Power and all the other shows that have been out. Uh, Kim year. rotates per night. Like, tonight, I'm going to Mid- Middle Earth. <laughs> it's true. It's true. On Wednesday, I go to the kitchen. <laughs> I was actually just thinking about revisiting the show because I have finished House of the Dragon and I have finished The Bear and I'm almost done with Rings of Power because um, I'm just, I'm a little bit behind on TV. So, but from what I've seen of it, I was just like, I liked it, but I, I like Tatiana, but I, I felt like there's a lot of like, why, why are we doing this for me yeah. in the first three episodes? So asterisk next to that number seven, Man, what does that say about what if? Yikes, that I had it what number eight, and I haven't even seen all of She-Hulk. So um, <laughs> that's uh, that's toughy. That's a toughy there. All right, number six for me. I got the Falcon and the Winter Soldier here. Same. Yeah, it's uh, should be so much better. That's what really hurts about it is that the potential is seemingly high, and yet they just kind of make it really not compelling at all. They zap, they zap a lot of the life out of that show and just make it kind of, it's paced weird. Like all of the six episode things are except for Loki. In my opinion, all of the six episode shows I feel like have pacing issues galore because it's a terrible format. It's not a movie. It's not a series. There is just wasted time and energy in a lot of those episodes. And in this one more so than most, it's painfully obvious that the six episode format did not work for it. It could have been a film or it could have been a longer show where they actually get time to build out these characters and make us feel something, um, particularly with Wyatt Russell's character and uh, certainly Sebastian Stan and and Anthony Mackie who need more time to flesh out that chemistry. It's just, it's very clunky. Yeah. All that spot on. (laughs) I just, uh, it could have been a really powerful show and Wyatt Russell is the best part of this and because of how Agreed. sinister his villain is uh, and uh, excited to see more of him. I am excited that Anthony Mackie is, you know, officially Captain America. We'll see what season two looks like. Yeah, the, the finale payoff is great. And I feel like that is a, a running theme for most of the six episode things is like you get a payoff that's good. But it's just like at the end of what you've gone through, you're kind of like, uh. You know, it could have been so much better. Uh, right. But Anthony Mackie busting through the window in this new Captain America suit is just sick. I just, so I, good. I get giddy about that every time. Okay, uh, number five, I'm going with Miss Marvel. Me too. All right. <laughs> We're kind of lined up here. <laughs> for me, Kirk, the, there are two episodes of this show, and I can't remember. I think it's episode four and five that just feel like, what in the what are we doing? Like, the first three <laughs> if I'm getting the episode numbers right, the first few episodes are so great and they have this great tone and these great characters and they're all, it it plays off so well. And the finale is really good. Um, But again, it's like, this could have been a movie. I think this should have been a movie. Maybe you do like a just to Disney plus movie or something. I don't know what the answer is, but the, the middle episodes of this were horrific at times. Yeah. Once they go into the kitchen, uh, I don't know. There's a moment where they go into like a kitchen, there's a big battle. And then from there, it's like they're, they have to, they kind of have to explain the lore and they, they do it in such a weird long winded way. And then we get back to the good part of the story. (laughs) So, yeah. 
It's bizarre. All right, Kirk. Number four, what you got? I've got. Let's see if you're matched up. On three. Ready? One, two, three. Hawkeye. Hawkeye. Love it. Uh, yes. <laughs> Love it. This movie, this is a show that I think I will defend because I feel like it gets hate and I have no idea why. Like, sure, the whole thing is like kind of inconsequential to everything that's going on, but there are so many great nuggets here. And and again, the whole thing is like the whole thesis of the show is that it's a Christmas special. Like it's it's supposed to mirror these like great Christmas movies where somebody's trying to get home for Christmas, but it just takes place in the MCU and they do that so well. And and the heart is there in this show. And I feel like what they do with Clint and Yelena about, uh, you know, reminiscing about Natasha is so powerful and so good, like for those characters. And, uh, I feel like Kate Bishop, I mean, Haley kills it. So I don't know. I feel like this is a good show. Yeah. I mean, you could have, you could have skipped Black Widow entirely and just introduced uh, Florence Pugh as as her sister in this, and you would have had uh, better catharsis all around for for uh, the loss uh, of Black Widow in Endgame. Um, it's great. I don't care who you are. I don't care who the naysayers are. It's really fantastic. So uh, shape up, watch it again, and rethink your life. Thank you. Dude, I was going to say, one of the movies, we, we didn't talk about during movies, but Thor Love and Thunder gets an insane i don't know if you see this too but a preposterous level of hate online i mean i don't think i've ever read one good comment about that movie people just shred that thing (laughs) and and i'll see people just like pop it into my timeline and be like hey remember thor love and thunder that movie sucks it's it's crazy (laughs) like people are like seething they're so angry about this film (laughs) i cannot believe it i'm like yeah, man, it has a lot of issues, but like, chill out. Right, <laughs> just stop by to remind you how terrible of a movie that <laughs> Seriously, is. Seriously, I felt like there. people were like this about Hawkeye, and I'm like, guys, can we be? Can we chill out? Can we be cool? Uh, <laughs> oh, that's amazing. That's awesome. All right, number three, I would bet my bottom dollar that we're aligned on this. Let me let me look at what number two and one are. I know we're off on one and two, so I know number three is one, two, three. You know that Moon we're off. Knight. You know I that do. we're off. Okay, Moon Knight. I know it. Kirk, why, why is Moon Knight number three? Oh, it's it's so artfully creative. Uh, people dog on this one that not enough happens in it. These are the people who get mad at character development, which character development is how you grow attachment to a character. You're learning about them. You're discovering what their choices are, their inner conflicts, their successes, their failures, their self-confidence level, their trauma, their their victory, like everything. That's what's so good about that. And no, we didn't have giant fanfare throughout this, but we got some pretty incredible sequences. We got a fantastic suit. We got Oscar Isaac running the show, bouncing between all of his different personalities. Moon Knight is a piece of art and I love it. And how dare anyone say anything else? Yeah. Oscar Isaac is unbelievable in this show. Like if you're, if you're a Marvel fan, you should feel so thankful yeah. that Oscar Isaac has signed on to play Moon Knight. Cause like that is a coup and a half. Like that is a really talented actor and he's perfect for the role and he just absolutely kills it on the character death front. Kirk, they do a great job with what they have. This is one where it's like, give me 12, 30 minute episodes, like legit. I want 12, yeah. 30 minute episodes and I don't want to see, you don't even have to see a ton of moon Knight. You can see some of it, but like 
what he's what is going on with his mental health and the journey that he's on as a person is so much more compelling and will pay off so much more down the line as they develop it. So yes. All right, number two. This is where you say we're off. Let's let's find out. I got one division here. I've got Loki. Oh, we did. We sheared. All right. Who who's <laughs> going first? I can go first. Go ahead. I think WandaVision is awesome. I remember the WandaVision era of of Twitter and 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 this podcast and everything so fondly. I loved talking about it was just like this big whodunit. There, there was all this mystery and intrigue around it, and they unveiled things so beautifully. There were all these great characters. Um, I feel like it's it, it's probably because of COVID that this happened, but the finale is definitely lackluster because the reveal that it was Agatha all along, while they do an incredible job with that reveal and the great song and everything, it just falls a little flat because you're like, you and I were going through this episode by episode, doing recaps on the podcast and reading the tea leaves. And if you're doing that, it's so obvious that like, that's the obvious answer. It's like, okay, we know that Agatha's involved here. We know that Agnes is Agatha and there's something going on. So that payoff just didn't feel great. But I, I love that show. I think it's super fun. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Loki for me, um, solid storytelling. It gets a little dry at times. Um, mainly in one one complete episode is basically a wash and then you have the which is episode that's either two or three three i think and then the beginning of the next episode they're still recovering from that and so it's like you lose an epi- 1.25 episodes of six episodes right and so it's very um it's so disjointing because the the momentum kill on that is tragic unfortunately whereas with WandaVision uh, my number 1 it, as it it coasts through and then you might have some trouble with how quick the finale happens in fact i don't think they were brave enough uh WandaVision to just change the length of time of that finale which they could they have all rights to do whatever they want to um, they could have made that one an hour. They could have made it 90 minutes if they wanted to and shocked everyone. Um, I, it, it just, it happened quick. The finale is quick there and it needed a little bit more time to, to, to take care of a, a big shebang. Um, but I think Loki again, it's, uh, it's both of these are masterpieces and it really just comes down to preference with these two. Yeah. I, I like that. So number one is obviously the flip of that. I have Loki number one for me. It's Tom Hiddleston. What he does with this character is lovely. Owen Wilson and Sophia DiMartino give great performances. We've got uh, awesome uh, introduction to Kang. I love the reveal of He Who Remains. That is so cool. That whole thing, when they get to the end of time and you've got the other variant Lokis and He Who Remains, I I just, that is such an epic way to end that show. And, uh, the world building and everything is what seals it for me there. Introduction of the TVA, the rules for the multiverse, etc. It's obviously going to echo throughout everything that happens in the future phases. Um, it has already done so a bit, um, but that that's the reason it sticks out for me. Yeah, it's pretty great that, you know, the MCU, we thought Loki, it will in Avengers, we think he's the big bad, but he's answering to a higher power. Yes. And it's like, it's the it's the first reveal that holy cow this world can be so much bigger and it will be so much bigger and then you have loki who introduces 
the next big villain post Thanos. Uh, pretty cool. Pretty amazing. Uh, with And with WandaVision, I, my number one again, I feel that um, I was absolutely enamored with all of the original Nick at Night shows, not like how Friends is on Nick at Night now, but like the OGs, the, the the same the same shows that Wanda watches in her Sokovian apartment with her family uh, as they're under attack. Uh, it's it, those are the shows that I watched over and over and over. The Walnut episode is that they show and showcase in WandaVision is one that haunted me. Like I actually had nightmares because of that episode. <laughs> like it's all the all the four all the leading up to uh you know the 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 current phase like those were powerful for me so they just resonated just slightly higher with loki for me Uh, i just want marvel to find this and know that they did a good job versus the people who would probably throw wandavision down to like four or five just because they thought it was too slow yeah there's a lot of that there's a lot of people calling things too slow and everybody's entitled to their own opinion. We we are champions of that, and you are totally yep. entitled to it. And come on here and argue with us. We'd love it. Um, but I, I, what I feel like I see a lot of is people call things slow or boring just because they're dialogue heavy. And I'm like, that is yep. not, that's not, in my mind, that is not how this works. And now I'm super congested, so apologies for that. But um, that's not how that works. If the dialogue is well-written and compelling and it's driving the characters forward and it's making you care about them more, by all means, talk as much as you need to talk to get your point across. And right. that's, you know, I think people need to see beyond that. Like, there is a real attention issue that goes on and we all succumb to it. I am so bad about scrolling my phone while I watch a show. And it's easier to do that during a dialogue-heavy show because you don't feel like you're because you're able to hear and you don't feel like you need to see everything that's going on. But I would challenge people who are calling those shows boring to like remove distractions, lock in and listen and watch the performers work because that stuff just it slays. And I feel like Loki and WandaVision both do and Moon Knight actually both do. They all do such a great job of that. Truth. Spit it. Yes. All right. So I'm going to ask you a question, Kirk, a question that I've already asked before on the podcast that we did after probably Thor love and thunder, I think. And that is this, where does phase four fall in the first four phases? I've got them up here on the screen. Uh, again, they're small, lots of logos. Uh, this was made for social media, so it had to be a certain aspect ratio and I'm just <laughs> repurposing it. So sorry, but you're seeing all of this. We've talked about it. We've, we've just torn apart piece by piece. We've broken it all down. Phase four, where does it sit? Are you talking about like rank phase one through four? I just want to know where does it rank out of the four? Where does phase oh, four fall? Is gosh. it at the top? Is it at the bottom? Is it in the middle? Where is it? Oh, dear. Do you Hold want on. me to go? Hold on. Hold on. Let me Because <laughs> I always put you on the spot and I feel bad about that. But I could give you time if you want, if you want me to answer. Uh, 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 I know. I know. Too. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> I was like, geez, how long are we going to take here? <laughs> this episode is three hours long and an hour of it is just Kirk mumbling. I am going to say that it's the worst phase. I, you know, and, and that is not like, if you go back and listen to Thor, I'm pretty sure I didn't say that. I'm pretty sure I said that it was like not the worst, that like two was the worst and it's somewhere in the middle. Um, I think it's the worst phase. So Black Panther is not the reason for that. It's not like I saw Black Panther and I was like, 
all right, this face sucks. Like, I really liked Black Panther. I thought it was a great finish. But as I have, you know, as I look at this and as I've talked about it and, and kind of analyzed this over, over the time and, 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 you know, looking at all the different titles and everything and, and remembering those eras, this era feels so scattered. It is like, in phase one, you had all these different hero introductions that felt scattered at first, but then came together really beautifully in the Avengers in phase two, you have Iron Man 2 and Thor Dark World that started off that phase. Or, sorry, Iron Man 3 and Thor Dark World that started off that phase. Youch. But you get those others that tie together and, and the, uh, you know, they grow Thanos a little bit. And Ant-Man is really good. And Guardians of the Galaxy is fantastic. And um, Age of Ultron feels like a bit like treading water. but And now it's become so significant that, like, that movie really matters for a lot of stuff that is happening now in the MCU. So I, I feel better about that phase than I did. Phase three is like clearly so good. <laughs> it's top, like the top, top of the mountain right there. for Easy. sure. Um, I feel like the clunkiness with the shows was there. Like th- this was not the Marvel that we know. This wasn't like ultra thoughtful pitch. Like, I don't want to say perfect, but just like, very thoughtful, very few mistakes. Like we saw mistakes. We saw clunkiness. We we saw them trying to figure their way out through the show landscape. And I feel like not all of them worked and some of them really didn't work. And I still feel like, you know, I didn't finish She-Hulk <laughs> because I'm like, <laughs> I'm, I'm tired of it. And I feel like it's just not as compelling as it used to be. I feel like it has kind of diluted the product um, because there is so much of it. And, you know, it, it the the thing that really drives that is that all of these shows are so disconnected and these movies are so disconnected. I feel like if there was a clear, like, all of these shows somehow lead back to Kang or they find a way to tie in better, then it's great. But it's like, you watch Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, it feels like it's totally its own thing. And the parts where they try to tie it into the rest of the world with Julia Louis-Dreyfus feel so wonky. And it's the same with, like, you know, Shang-Chi, they have that post-credit scene. We still have no idea what they're talking about in that post-credit no. scene. And, and it's been like a year and multiple films after that. So there is this disjointedness that I feel like if they could have kept it tighter and, and revealed more of like what the plan was, then all of these shows would have been more compelling. But because they didn't, it's easy to mentally check out and be like, okay, I don't need to finish She-Hulk. I don't need to finish Moon Knight because whatever like it's not it's not relevant to what's happening right this moment and i don't even know what the direction is um i was happy when loki kind of revealed that the direction was kang we had we had theorized that but that was great to feel that but then it just vanished and now we're not going to hear about it again until ant-man in uh phase five so i just feel like the disjointedness of it is what really seals it for me that this is the worst phase yeah Looking at here, if there's anyone I trust to figure out some sort of scoring mechanism where although there are different quantities in different phases, um, a way to uh, qualify everything in in a certain way, it's you. I think that you... Oh, no. I'm giving you some homework that I expect done before we die. Um, and maybe that's a possibility with with that deadline um, to go through and make with your very very well math oriented mind and say all right phase one 
based on XYZ, likability, Rotten Tomato score, box office, this is the number it gets out of 10 and so on and so forth. And then I think we could see some real light because like you have some incredible pieces in between all of these. Uh, For sure. Take away Iron Man 3, Dark World and Ultron and you have Winter Soldier, Guardians 1 and Ant-Man in Phase 3. I'm going to go ahead and, you know, you, you cut like your highs and lows. Although phase three, I would just, if I phase had three, to all bangers all the time, right? Maybe Ant-Man and the Wasp is the weakest in there. Um, most likely is when you're looking at that. And then of course, phase four has so many. So I think you're right. Just at a glance, um, phase four is now officially at the bottom. Phase three is at the top. And I would argue that, uh, I would argue it goes from the top down three one four no <laughs> three one two four is what i think my official score is yeah i agree with that i agree with that um it's tough man it's like it, you know i said it last time it's like we all sat here and said wow they're really growing this thing that's that's scary <laughs> there's a chance that it could get screwed up and everybody's like, Oh, you know, it's Marvel. It'll be fine. They're going to, they're going to do it perfectly. And it, it landed somewhere in between that. Like they didn't blow it. I don't feel like there's a lot of people who are like fully checked out of Marvel, but they diluted the product. They, 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 uh, definitely poured some water in the Gatorade here. You know, it's, it's, it's not, it's not what it was. It doesn't feel the same. And I think that that's why, Black Panther felt so good because it felt felt it felt like the other phases. It was like, okay, we're back. This is high level Marvel stuff. This is good. Um, whereas everything else has been good, not great, in my opinion. Yep, agreed. Agreed all around. All right, Kirk. So when we look ahead to the final, the the next two phases, and we know we know the titles that are involved in there, we're not going to spend long on this. What what is the one thing that they have to do better to make the multiverse saga? as good or better than the infinity saga. Hmm. I mean, go back and look at their blueprint for three. You had Spider-Man introduced in civil war and he had two films in there, a large part in civil war. And he was in infinity war as well as Endgame. I mean, if you inject a character, you need to keep them present because there are characters that we saw in WandaVision, which was out the gate. The first property we saw that we have not seen since WandaVision, and that's a problem. We need to continuously see them uh, progress and uh, connect with our other characters. That is the meat and potatoes. It always has been of getting these people, getting these superheroes next to each other in battle or just meeting each other. And a lot of these, there a lot of them are isolated. Uh, the argument is maybe there, maybe some of them are in different uh, universes, and they're gonna we're gonna pull them all together. Um, the other argument is that Kang has had his hand in every single aspect of Phase Four, like every single piece of it. Either way, it, you can't have the Age of Ultron effect where you're like, "Oh yeah, go back and watch it now." It still has to be strong on its own. Agree, agree. I think for me, the one thing that they're going to have to do better. And it ties into yours, like like the character piece that you were talking about with Spider-Man. I feel like it's the overall, it, it's getting back to giving us something to look forward to that feels soon, that like feels near. Like Kang does not feel near. 
right? And we know that he's the big bad. So every time we don't, where we're doing stuff where we're not talking about him or we're doing stuff where we're not building towards that or building towards Thunderbolts or building towards whatever else, it just doesn't feel right. And so then you have all these connections, but they're not, they're all just like, I hate to say it, but a lot of these like crossovers and post credit scenes entries and stuff, they just feel very empty. They feel like they're doing it yeah. just to do it, you know? Um, and, and it's like you said, they have to get back to getting the characters next to each other, interacting with each other, building those bonds and building those relationships in a way to where it feels real. So it's, it's part of like, you have to give us something to look forward to. And as we build towards that, make these connections real, make them matter. Um, and I, and I do, I fully expect phases five and six to be better. I am still concerned about the scale, like the, the number of projects that are on that release schedule, because if it really is that, you know, Kevin Feige just does not have the bandwidth to have his creative input fully on all these projects, then it's not going to get better. But if they learn from this and aren't arrogant and say, okay, there was some stuff here that was not up to Marvel standards and we need to rectify that, then I think that there's no reason it can't get better. They, they've got a decent, like, f- foundation built for phases five and six, but it, they did so at the expense of phase four, for sure. Right. Yeah, it, it just didn't feel like the walls were caving in on us like that they weren't like uh like the star war in the in the trash pit in star wars right that the that the walls need to be slowly creeping in where we're like oh shoot what's when is it gonna finally get too close uh that we need to call in every single person to come and fight which is what end game was right so yeah uh, and and all of those avengers movies right kirk like all of those avengers movies act as a pressure release valve for the entire franchise where it's like okay we've been building to this conflict sure it's not the big one but it is it is something we've been building for this phase built towards nothing it didn't build towards anything like the fact that black panther wakanda forever is the end and it is so self-contained it's just limited to wakanda dealing with their stuff. It, it tells you everything you need to know. Like we even need... between. Go ahead. Yeah. For two and between phases two and three, yes. we ended with Ant-Man. We started with civil war. Well, civil war basically was an Avengers movie. Yes. You know, we exactly. brought them all back in. Exactly. Yeah. So you need those pressure release valves to say like, we've built towards this milestone. We've hit it. Let's bring the momentum down and start building again. And we don't have any of that here. We just don't. Yeah. You know, since Kevin is very busy, he needs two very uh, well-versed confidants uh, to oh, go here in we go and, again. and be consultants on the the many uh, ongoing features that are happening. And again, I, I just want to reach out. If you know Kevin Feige or are six degrees separated from him, please reach out. We would love to assist. There is not an Avengers movie in Phase 5. No. Either. There's two Avengers movies and they're both phase six. And, and that's not to say that there can't be something that equates to that, like a Captain America Civil War. But like, it's a concern that things are going to start to feel pretty stale if we don't build towards something that's visible on the horizon and not just like way out there. So yeah, we shall see. We shall see. All right. That is all things Marvel. I don't know that we could have done more Marvel talk than we just did. Um, my voice is gone. I'm congested. We're, we're powering through. I wish we could have gotten this podcast out sooner. So I apologize to that, uh, for, for the delay with my illness, but, um, happy to be here wrapping up phase four, wrapping up 
Black Panther Wakanda Forever and turning the page on this chapter of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. There is, of course, more to come. We will be watching, you know, Ant-Man in February, just, you know, three short months from now. So the 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 father time just keeps on ticking toward us and, and Kevin Feige's getting his projects out the door. So we'll be here to break it all down, of course. Thank you so much for listening. We really appreciate it. Nice long episode. If you're a Marvel fan, hopefully it was fun to listen to. If you have thoughts or ideas or you're like, you guys are whack for thinking whatever she Hulk sucked or whatever, whatever. I don't know if you think any of our opinions are crazy or if you agree, reach out, talk to us on discord, on social media, wherever you can reach us. This is what we love to do. This is why we just did it for like two hours. We love to talk about these movies. We love to talk about all movies and TV. It is a great time. We thank you so much for being here with us. And of course we also thank our executive producer, Ryan Spriggs, as well as his band rhetoric who created our amazing original theme music. You can find it on anywhere you listen to music. And we will have a new review coming your way next week. Talk to you then. Yeah.